everybody, welcome back. Another week, another Glintendo podcast. I'm Glintendo. This is my show. This is a weekly Nintendo slash Smash community podcast. The show goes up every Thursday for supporters on Patreon, and then the show becomes free to all the following Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. This week, joining me, one of my best friends in the whole world and a great guy all around. The artist known as Koopa. Koopa, how are you? Hello, welcome to the show. Long overdue. Am I allowed to like take my shoes off? Like, I feel like I'm like, it, it definitely has vibes of like going to your friend's house for the first time and like, like not knowing what to do. Like, this is this is a huge honor. Like, I'm I'm we're, we're I'm featured. This has been I've been, <laughs> I've been hearing you talk some some of that nice John about me being a, a sad Sonic fan, and that's fine. And I respect <laughs> that. And I, 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 I cannot deny fact, but no, thank you. Uh, in all seriousness, thank you for having me, man. This is awesome. No, yeah, long overdue. And uh, for anyone who's wondering what he's referencing there, two, about two episodes ago, I think it was, it was the holiday episode where we talked about, or I talked about rather, that uh, Sonic as a character has ruined many holidays for people. And you were one of the many people who contributed <laughs> to that story by telling me you're your sad story of how you had to like return a Sonic game that you got on Christmas because it didn't even work. So um, yeah, you see, Koopa, one of the defining things about him is that he's literally the biggest Sonic fan of all time. And understandably so, like I said, you know, Sonic as a character is so cool, man. And like, again, he's it's the first video game I ever played with Sonic too. So we all love Sonic, like Sonic, but then everything else, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree with you. Sonic as a as a character, like just aesthetically real cool, like don't give a crap attitude. It's like 3 degrees of separation of uh yeah, of separation away from Michael Jackson. So I mean, like if you're into if you're into music, that's a that's a thing, but you know the games, I the theater miss. <laughs> Definitely the one I got on Christmas. It's huge swing and a miss, but you know, yep. what are you going to do? Yeah. And uh the other thing about you um, in addition to being, you know, defined by Sonic as many, it's real quick, <laughs> real quick. We need to talk about something. So our hungry, you know, he's appeared on many episodes. He's a good friend of both of ours. He pointed something out to me years ago that it, it makes so much sense to me. Now he was saying how, like, we noticed this trend or rather he noticed this trend that in the smash community, the people who play Sonic competitively in smash brothers, it's like it's not like a, a logical choice. It's not like, okay, Sonic's really good at the game, even though he really was in, in four. Sonic's really good at the game. I'm gonna play Sonic. It's like Sonic players love, love Sonic. And when he pointed that out to me, I didn't get it at first. And then now I'm like, oh my God, they are ride or die. Like every single there's only one person I know who mained Sonic in Smash 4 who no longer plays that character. Every other Sonic main has gone right back. It's like you guys, it really has to, it's in the DNA of your body that you love Sonic. <laughs> I mean, it's, you call it what it is, Glenn. It's a toxic relationship, honestly. Like, yeah. my, it's, it's very funny. There is, um, you know, a, a joke that came out a few years ago, uh, on Twitter where somebody stated that, you know, Sonic mains all wear this, <laughs> and people have said this to my face too, so it's fine. I have no problem repeating it. Like, they said that, you know, they, we all own the same shirts. We all own the same hat. We share twin beds when we go places. We we use the same spoons. Like this the 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 Sonic it, it's it's 
you know, most of the time people will gravitate towards like their favorite characters in Smash. Like, you know, if if you like Metal Gear, why wouldn't you play Snake? You know, if you like Earthbound, why wouldn't you play, you know, Ness or Lucas? I can give you reasons why not to, but you know, that's uh, <laughs> it's fine. But um or you can be like me and have your tag be completely against the grain of who your favorite character in Smash is, and that's you know, Koopa, and I only, you know, casually play Bowser. But yeah, you know what? It, I think I think Sonic mains have the highest ratio to people who play the character and people who actually like the character, like outside of Smash. I think yeah. I, can, I can recall maybe one person that I've met that played Smash, that played Sonic competitively in four, that was not like a diehard like Sonic aficionado. He was just a guy that really liked back airs and like. <laughs> so. That's definitely, I would love to see like some scientific study of like the ratio because that, that ratio, if it exists, if somebody were to go and dig deep for it, I am certain that Sonic and yeah, Sonic would be number one. Like people who play this character actually love this character. There are plenty of people who play Smash characters just because they're good in the game. Um, but the other thing about you, aside from the Sonic thing that uh, really defines you is that you're actually... Uh, you're probably going to push against me here because you're going to try to be humble, but you are a famous Smash commentator. Like, you actually <laughs> are famous at Smash commentary. And um, that's not me just gassing you up. Like, you've commentated some of the biggest tournaments and with some of the biggest names, and you have years of experience with that, and you're gr genuinely great at it, which, by the way, is like, is quite a feat because I find many commentators to just be annoying. But you are one of the the few that I I highly enjoy listening to you commentate sets. So I really wanted to ask you um, how, like that whole world of commentating. How what does that look like in the past year? Like what? How does how does that how has that been? Well, number one, your checks in the mail. So thank you. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you. I I really do appreciate that. Um, you know, um, it's been strange. Uh, I'd say. So number one, like I have been, you know, the last year of my life is for most people has been very different. Um, and even before the pandemic started, like I was only really, you know, I, I got my start like most commentators do. You know, I commentated at my locals and then I gradually just moved up the food chain to where I am now. Um, but the last year has been it's been a lot of like there's been some good things to it. And but also like some some adjustments I've had to make, like. Number one, I don't have to. I only have to get dressed from the waist up, which is, <laughs> which is awesome. Like I'm just gonna keep it 100 emoji. Have but, you actually done that? Be honest. Have I've, you actually worn like a tie, a button-up shirt, and a blazer, and then it's like if anyone could see what was going on down there, they would just be upset. No, I have not gone. Uh, <laughs> our, our good friend Max Ketchum has definitely coined the the business up top and and pajama pants on on the bottom aesthetic like that that's his cornerstone market but you know i'll put on like a decent enough shirt and like or and i'll be wearing like basketball shorts or like i'll just be like vibing in my underpants like i'll just keep it real yeah like it's there it's very as my quarantines progress i've done things to like make my at home commentary experience easier because thinking back i've never really told anybody this but i was operating on a real poverty setup like this time last year i had a my my the the desk i had it was very small 
I was commentating off of a laptop that like barely worked. I was sitting in a metal folding chair, like what you would use at your family's barbecue. So like when it came down to me having to commentate these Wi-Fi tournaments or like record, you know, record content for like, you know, an hour, two, three hours at a time, my lower body was on fire. I was suffering greatly. It was, uh, it was not good, but, um, you know, it's so I've definitely learned a lot how to like, you know, troubleshoot my own audio. Like I now have like a very professional, like looking, you know, equipment now and stuff like that. But, you know, it's also like you, I kind of miss like the grind of it, if that makes sense. Like I miss having to drive, you know, 20 minutes in traffic to like our local venue and like, you know, hang out with the guys and like go to Taco Bell on my way home because I have to wake up for work in like five hours. Like now I just commentate. I turn off my computer and I go like I turn around 180 degrees and my bed's right there. <laughs> so like I do kind of miss a little bit of like the of like the you know, I I miss a bit of the grind of like the of like physically getting to where I need to go. But other aspects of it, like, you know, it's very easy to just you know, commentate at home. Like it, I feel like there's less pressure. Um, if that makes sense, there's less pressure on me to like, you know, have to like look my best and all that other stuff. And obviously the, the technological hardships that come with it, but that's how the, the last year of my commentary, I, I feel like it's felt like. So one of the things I wanted to ask about is, um, just in terms of being a commentator, right? So like I have a little bit of experience commentating smash sets. I actually got really lucky one time because um, I would, I would just like, you know, as someone who's organized tournaments and has been a, a, an avid competitor for years. And like, I know a lot of people in the scene, um, people will just, they know I can commentate and that I, I, I like to be on a microphone. So they've thrown me on, um, to commentate certain sets. And like, I got some, I got really lucky that some of the sets that I just happened to be commentating for were some of the biggest sets. Like when Leon famous best Bowser player in the world, he beat Nairo you know, the, one of the best players of all time, like top five at, in every single smash game yes. uh, with Bowser, Bowser Palatina. And I just happen to be the guy like me and Ajax, who's from New England, a great commentator. We happen to be commentating that set. So I know a little bit about commentary, but one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, as someone who's done this for many years and you know, a lot of the people at the top and in between and all that, like, what are the, if you could briefly give me off top of your head, like what are the big do's and don'ts of commentating? Okay, so just in in a vacuum, I'd say like a big do is like um, definitely do your homework is a huge one. Like obviously, like if you're going to commentate, you kind of have to know like what you're talking about. And most because I've been doing this, I think 2021 uh, will be my I think my sixth year of commentary. So, like, I've gotten to the point now where, like, I you can kind of tell when someone's just, like, in it for their five minutes of fame and they're kind of just, like, they don't really know what they're talking about. Like, it's very easy to sniff people out like that. Um, so I'd definitely say, like, you know, know what you're talking about. Like, understand, like, you know, you don't have to understand all the intricacies, but, like, understand what moves are what, like, what characters are what. Like, get, like, a basic framework of, like, how this character works. Like, oh, this character's... Uh, Samus is a is a zoning character because she has projectiles. Bow, you know, Bowser's a grappler because he gets a lot of his damage out of grabbing you. You know, stuff like that. Uh, definitely don't try to be someone you're not. Like, don't try to don't go on a commentary setup and like pretend do an impression of somebody else. Like, 
every I, I the biggest thing you could do is just like be natural like let it like, you know let your per, your own personality shine and stuff like that um uh, don't curse <laughs> that's a big one <laughs> yeah. depending on who you talk to um you know i think most most depending on how good you get you're you're, you're probably allowed like one f bomb like a tournament like so yeah, and it, it has to be like a big moment too <laughs> yeah you, you, <laughs> you're like you gotta, oh man yeah you got to like you got to take your shot when you shoot or shoot like that's what you got to do but th- that's definitely some of like the, the um, you know the bigger things and stuff like that you know uh what, what commentator stuff do you as someone who's experienced with that what what's like the most annoying trope like without throwing anyone under the bus specifically but i want to know what commentator stuff like annoys you like you're listening to a tournament and you're just like oh my god like why did he say that <laughs> So one of the biggest things that there's there's two big things that come to mind. Um, number one, I, I I I'm guilty of this sometimes, but like I I don't like cliches. Like there's a lot of commentary cliches, like oh like uh, uh like I'm trying I'm trying to think of examples offhand, but like you know I don't like you know cheesy like dialogue and stuff like that. Like um I think the biggest thing that annoys me is when like the one commentator is cutting off his co-commentator like just like in in real life like nobody likes to be interrupted in the midst of a conversation like nobody likes to be cut like if your commentator is like you know not letting you talk and like not willing to play catch it's it is very frustrating and that can really like derail like a cast and stuff like that um so i'd say that's like that that's a those are like my two biggest pet peeves yeah, that that I've had that experience. Of course, like for me, it's at the lower level. So it's like I've never commentated with I think besides me and you commentating, which is like has been only at locals. Whenever I've commentated at like a bigger event, I'm usually with someone who's in my level where it's like we're not established commentators. We're just like doing our best. But every now and then you get that one guy where it's like, dude, like I, I, I'm mid sentence. And then they, they cut you off and you just like, oh, my God, like whoever's listening to this, this must be very <laughs> awkward, bro. Oh my goodness. No. Yeah, it, it's rough. And like, those are like learned like problems and stuff like that. So like you learn not to do that. And I I think my thing is that like, you know, I tried to like, like, like I said earlier, you can, you can kind of tell when someone like, isn't really like in it for like to actually learn. Like I'd rather someone be like, be like swing big and like miss, but like that shows me that they're like trying that they want to get better. Then someone just come up there, like, you know, breathe heavily into a mic for like twenty minutes, and then move on with their life. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, they're, oh you can definitely God. tell the difference between someone who like wants to get better and someone who's just like, ah, I'm just here because I I have nothing better to do. Yeah, it's it's hilarious, man. So, last commentary question: Who do who to you is like the goat of commentary? Like, who's like the 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 Babe Ruth of commentary in in the Smash community, like who is like the guy where you're like, dude, this guy inspired me, and he's the guy that we should all be emulating. So my favorite commentator, um, and like, so I always say this to people, like as a, as a caveat, um, is that commentary, like most other like mediums, it's very subjective. So like, what one person might like in a commentator they might say to me, Oh, I don't like that. And like, that's totally fine. Like if like some people like more like, you know, analytical commentary, people that like break the game down to like a fine powder 
Whereas other people like me personally, I like a guy that's entertaining because at, at the end of the day, it's an entertainment medium. Um, and my favorite commentator, like the guy that encapsulates to me everything perfectly um, is Coney. Coney is, is, is my, is my champion when it comes to that. And like any of those, like of the, of the big, like uh, of the blast zone is how they're coined, you know, Coney, uh, TK, Breezy and EE. Like those guys are like the perfect package of like, they can, they can bore you with numbers if they want to, but they don't have to do that because they're just so gosh darn entertaining. And like, yeah, as someone that's like worked with all of them. Like I, I, they are, they are like the consummate professional. Like that's the gold standard personally for me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think those are, those are some of my favorite guys to watch. Like they, especially when there are certain tournaments that I remember from like, you know, pre COVID where, um, there was one, I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was Coney, TK, and EE doing a triple cast. And I was like, this is, this is the best. Like the, all the guys are here. Everybody's here. This is it. So, um, yeah, those guys are, are, are great. Um, I, I like that I'm able to talk about this with you because people forget that like, all right, our hungry and I did a, an episode of a little while back when the, um, free melee hashtag was big and we were kind of going through all that and going through the perspective of like, you know, competitors and the smash community and took a deep dive into that stuff. But one of the things people forget is that the competitors are obviously the forefront of the smash community and most people are competitors, but people forget there are TOs and there are commentators also. And it's like that, uh, trit, that Trinity is what creates the community. A lot of times I feel like people forget because most people are, are competitors and obviously they're the focal point, the tournament organizers, nothing would exist without them. And the commentators, again, a huge chunk that a lot of what we know of the smash community wouldn't exist without you guys. So, um, I'm happy to have you as the first commentator to come on here and give us a little bit of like what that feels like to be a commentator. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, thank you again for having me, but yeah, I, uh, I love talking about commentary. Obviously it's been a, a great side hustle, you know, for the last like, you know, five plus six years. And, uh, no, I agree. Like people, when they, when they talk about the community, they always seem to forget about the other two thirds that aren't just the competitive side of things. Um, so, you know, I always say definitely thank your TOs, uh, you know, before you, you, you thank me, I, I just sit and talk about, you know, video games a lot of the time, <laughs> but, um, no, it definitely it's it's a lot of work, and like anyone that says that commentary is easy, um, it's it at at a surface level, like yeah, it is, but you know, I I'm constantly like you know researching, and you you have to constantly be on top of like who's trending hot and like who's not, and um, a big thing that people don't talk about, like when as a commentator, at least like I've been more conscious of, is like like what I'm eating, like the day I have to do something important. Like I, uh, like, you know, I, one time I accidentally ate half of a pizza pie before I had to commentate, uh, like a very like late part of bracket. And I was, Oh, I felt terrible. <laughs> like it's, yeah. if you've ever eaten, like a lot of cheese and like milk and stuff like that. Like it was, it was awful. That sounds, so, yeah. That sounds like a bad idea. The, you know, uh, bad choice for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because anyone who thinks commentary is easy, the thing is that the good commentators make it look easy. And it's the same thing with anything that's like speaking related, whether it's like stand-up comedy or, you know, being a, a you know, a, a, um, a talk show host or anything, even podcasts, everything. When someone's good at it and they're good at talking, it's 
it's because it feels so easy. So it's easy for people to look at that and go, oh, I can do that. I can talk. And then it's like you try it. And that's why so many people don't like most commentators because it is very hard. So I definitely tip my hat to all you guys who are good at commentary. Um, it's the the Triforce of the Smash community is the Triforce of Courage are the, the, the competitors who have the courage to enter bracket and try to win. <laughs> and then the Triforce of Power is the TOs, the tournament organizers who have the power to organize these tournaments. And then, of course, the Triforce of Wisdom, the commentators who bless us with good commentary and analyzing all these sets. Nice. That means I'm Zelda. That's awesome. I dig yeah, that. You're, you're a girl in a dress. And there's actually another <laughs> little bit of lore to help anyone who's being introduced to, to Koopa right now. There's a famous photo of you that oh, you no. took and posted of you in a princess outfit. So you literally are Zelda, bro. It's That's true. <laughs> I, uh, so just uh, I'll, I'll make the story quick. Um, I lost a bet. And the, the, the caveat of that bet is that I would have to dress like Princess Peach for Halloween. And that and I lost that bet. And I spent $60 in a spirit Halloween on my way to that tournament. Bought a costume that was two sizes too small. Um, thank God I brought an extra pair of pants with me because I knew that was going to happen. And I entered an entire Smash tournament dressed as Princess Peach. And thus, Koo Peach was born. And oh, my God. A, a funny part of lore about that, that I don't... Th you might know this because I've talked about it before, but, like... We had a, a local Peach main that came to this tournament that I had to dress up like as Peach at, and I had to play him in bracket and I beat him. Let's go, <laughs> Peach! And I felt <laughs> I felt terrible, um, dude. But, I just remember pulling up to the local, and I remember just walking in and being like, "Why? What?" Like I just like looked across the room and I just see a dude with a beard and glasses in a pink Peach. Outfit and it's not Halloween. It's not even close. And I was just like, "What is going on, dude?" That was so funny. Yeah, it was like the first week of November or something. It was bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I actually still have that crown um, somewhere in my house. And as a as a stream incentive, uh, I I promised that I would do a whole stream dressed as Koo Peach. So, uh, oh, so that's still coming. Yeah, it's coming. I got. Oh, I God. bought my costume the other day. It should be here by Valentine's Day, which is fitting. To say what, I got to ask. All right. So famous producer of the show, the legendary Riz. He's a frequent listener, good friend of both of ours. Yes. Many listeners of the show have heard his name read at the end of each show because he's he's been a show producer since day one. What did he think of this Coupeach thing? Like wh when he saw you in the dress, bro, I, ha I wish I could see his face. I wish I know what his reaction was to that. Um. So anyone that knows Riz knows that when 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 Riz finds something very funny, his like haha -ha funny laugh is like very infectious. Yeah. And I I think out of all the times that I've for as long as I've known Riz, I've known Riz for a, a long time now, and I I've only seen him like laugh that hard a handful of times, and I thought I it killed him. He thought it was very funny. The reception was very, <laughs> the people that were like out of the joke were definitely very confused, but the people that were in on it were just like oh crap like this is <laughs> this is. Yeah, it, it was that is so and, funny. And you guys still let me hang out with you after all of that, and I appreciate that. It's because we genuinely felt bad. <laughs> I'm like, dude, this guy has nothing else. All right, let him come to the diner and eat with us. Maybe th this will do him some good, man. Um, all right, so what? One Smash Brothers question I want to ask you. All right, give me your genuine 
Like, don't pull any punches. I really want your genuine reaction, okay? So Smash Brothers Ultimate has well over like 100 stages, right? And when you enter a tournament, we, you know, as a community, for the most part, we've whittled down the available choices of stages to like five or six stages that you can play on in a tournament, right? So my question to you is, why haven't we done that with characters yet? Why can't you play? There should be, look, if you're going to get rid of the random elements of the game, all right, so that in a competitive environment, there's the least amount of randomness and the better player wins. I really think that we should apply the same approach, right? And then whittle it down to five or six characters that you could play in a tournament. And then just like stages, you and the opponent have to strike characters and go, okay, I strike Palutena. So then the other guy goes, okay, I strike Cloud and Krom. And then you can pick from what's left, the two characters that are left, and then you can play in bracket. Don't you think that this would fix the community and fix competitive Smash forever? Be honest. So in, <laughs> I am inclined to disagree with you for the content purposes, but I'll have you know, Glenn, once upon a time, back in 2014, I pitched this idea to one of our local TOs. Um, yeah, so um, there was a podcast I was listening to around the time that Smash uh, for the Wii U was coming out. And they mentioned, they're like, what if Smash adopted the League of Legends uh, style of, of character banning? Because in League of Legends, you know, before each round of, of League, and I'm only like loosely familiar with League, but this is about the, the, the extent of my water cooler knowledge. Is that you can? There's like a, like a hundred champions in league or something like that, and you and each team gets to strike champions at the beginning of every match. And I said, how cool would it be if you sit down at a, at a, at a stage like say you don't like to fight Diddy Kong, and this is back when Diddy Kong was a menace to society and killing people at a, at a, at a alarmingly high rate. Like the the mortality the mortality rate for Diddy was not great. So. I, I, and I pitched to to our local TO at the time, the, the gentleman that you also know who I'm talking about um, in, in the hitbox closet. Um, I, I said to him, I said, what if when you ban stages, you could also you could also, you know, do draft bans and you and you and you ban characters. And obviously the, the response was was negative because it's like, oh, you could be banning somebody's main. But at the same time, that's the beauty of Smash. Especially in, in Ultimate when, you know, by the time it's all said and done, we're going to have 85, 86 characters in this game. So I, I think plenty of people like like to play multiple characters and eventually it gets to a point where like it's it, it all really just carries over. Like, you know, if, if you're a good player, you can you can play most of the characters in the cast. So believe it or not, Glenn, and, and I don't say this very often. I'm in lockstep with you. I Let's go. <laughs> Literally exact opposite reaction I thought I was going to get because even though that sounds extreme, right? It sounds like I'm just like, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I complain about all this stuff. But it's like one of the beauties of Melee and the reason why Melee is literally the GOAT, like the greatest fighting game of all time. One of the beauties of it is that the roster is only 24 characters. And so when you're a competitor, you don't have to learn 80 matchups. Right now in Ultimate, one of the things that bothers me personally is like, dude, I literally learn a matchup and then like I don't fight that character for two months and I have to remember all this stuff that I grind. I haven't seen them. Like some of these characters are very rare because there's so many of them. So if we're going to get rid of the random elements that the stages provide, 
then we should get rid of the random elements that the, the characters provide. If I walk into a tournament at every single tournament, every round, I can go, yeah, I ban uh, Bowser and Yoshi. Like every <laughs> single tournament. Dude, I would literally be the GOAT. I would never lose again. Those characters need to go. But uh, obviously, most people are not going to be about that. Part of the appeal of the, the game is that, you know, there's so many different people that play these characters. And you if you ban someone's main, they're done. But like me personally, like if somebody banned my mains, they'd be like, all right, you can't play Cloud and you can't play Inkling. I'd be like, all right, well, I could play Link. I could play like Lucina. I could play a bunch of different characters. And it would be really funny to do that. But um, yeah. um I, I, I totally echo that sentiment. Um, I, and I, I think it's also just one of the problems because this game, all for all said purposes, it's not like skewed in like one in direction where it's like pretty top heavy, like games where melee and brawl are like incredibly top heavy, where if you're not playing like one of four characters, like even the good ones at that point, you're kind of like, you're, you're, you're essentially just putting like a handicap on yourself. But I, it, I, and you're def. this is definitely a 2025 take. Like we're <laughs> definitely like a few years to the future on this. And my argument has always been, Hey, why don't you, you know, try it out at a side event, like, do something fun, do something weird, you know, like, especially while we're all at home and playing on Wi-Fi anyway, like, yeah, you can do anything. Like, yeah. Do something crazy. And so I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Glenn. I'm, I, I will die on this hill with you together. Let's go. I am dead on a hill, but I have a companion. Let's go. We're buried together. <laughs> Thought I was going to die alone out here, bro. So, um, on to, there's not that much news to get into this week, but obviously there's like one huge story that just kind of sucks everything up. So, you know, as of January 20th, today, 2021, sadly leaving office, never to be seen again. A man that I think most people would be surprised I actually greatly admire for all the hard work that he's done. Takaya Imamura, <laughs> the, the great artist who worked at Nintendo. He designed characters like Star Fox, uh, Captain Falcon, but most importantly... He, I don't know if you, if you know, um, if you were familiar with this guy, but he designed the Majora's Mask and he actually did all the art direction for Majora's Mask, that specific game, including like his, his last name is Imamura and they actually combined his last name with somebody else's to create the name Majora. And so he is, you know, that game is to me, it's a legendary game and like, I love those characters. Star Fox, Fox McCloud to me, and like the R-Wing and all that stuff. Like he's my favorite Nintendo character. Like not necessarily my favorite Nintendo game or to play as, but just in terms of like the character that I like looking at the most, I'm like, it's Fox, bro. Fox is so cool. But did you did you see this story yet that this guy um, just officially left Nintendo? No, I did not see that. And that's actually uh, really interesting stuff. So I am... Um... I, I agree, like, Majora's Mask is is one of my favorite games of all time, and I've said, like, on a record on multiple platforms that, like, I'm a pretty, like, surface-level Zelda person. Like, I uh, I didn't own a Nintendo 64, like, or I, I didn't have my own outright Nintendo 64 as a kid, so, like, I didn't experience Majora's Mask and uh, Ocarina of Time until much later in my life, so my only real exposure to Zelda for a long time was the handheld games. So I hold a great, uh, like, uh, I I have a lot of great memories with, like, the Oracle games and Link's Awakening and stuff like that. But, no, that that's uh, that's awesome. 
um and you know good luck to to him and, and whatever his next endeavors are uh you know outside of this totally regular nothing weird you know wednesday nothing nothing, yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing else of a monument happened today at least i don't think so no this is this is the only thing that i could think of that mattered um and you know he spent 32 years at the company one of the things i wanted to point out that i think uh, a lot of there's a lot of coverage on this. There's a little bit of coverage on the major sites, but there's not like a lot of detail. One of the things that no one's really talking about that I think is really, really important. And like, even you as like someone who's more of a, of a fair weather Zelda fan, you'll kind of understand where I'm going with this. This guy is really, really important because Majora's mask is actually the beginning of Zelda having a very strong, like visual identity. So like, Ocarina of Time is my favorite game ever still to this day. And I, I don't even know if anything will ever dethrone that experience. But one of the, the one of the only things I could say about Ocarina of Time that is bad or that's a blemish in the experience or in the game is that the art direction, like if you just look at like not just in the game, but also just even the um the official artwork for the game and stuff, it's a very it's it doesn't look bad or anything, but it's very kind of like generic. Like it's very just like you know, middle of the road, like good, like drawings. And there's not a very strong, like extreme artistic identity. And that's actually true of every Zelda game before Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask was the first time where people like to this day, they're like, the artwork has a lot of black in it. The, the, the design of the Majora's Mask, like they drew from a lot of like African and Native American stuff. And that was the beginning of where Zelda is today, where like, uh, Majora's Mask started that. Wind Waker obviously took it really far with how amazing the art style is. And then um, Twilight Princess was a bit of a step back. But even that, like if you look at the the Dark World stuff, they have like a very strong visual identity. Skyward Sword has a very strong visual identity, like fresco and like watercolor. And then obviously Breath of the Wild draws from like so much different ancient Japanese stuff. Um, so yeah, this guy, I just wanted to give him a shout out because obviously like I love Zelda so much and I love that specific thing is so important to that series now. And it really started with this guy and how awesome those designs were. Um, but yeah, you probably noticed, right? Like even as a Fairweather Zelda fan who didn't have an N64, like you, you feel the, uh, the darkness when you, when you kind of think of Majora's Mask, right? No, absolutely. Like the, the tones of that game, obviously you, like you feel it like, you know, as you're, as you're, you know, going through Termina and all that other stuff, you, you really definitely feel like that, that that gloominess and like that's always been like the thing about Zelda that's been great is that you know it's not it's not afraid to kind of take these like these uh artistic liberties with like the designs and stuff like that like obviously you look at a game like Majora's Mask and you know the tone's very different and but and even more so with like the uh you know the the more modern Zelda games but like you know when I think the I think a Twilight Princess and like you know I that art style like sticks out and then you think of skyward sword where it's like it turns it completely on its head where it's very like you said very vibrant you know very very watercolor yeah so yeah and i know you just played the Link's awakening remake and like that's another one where just at a glance you're like oh wow that's really beautiful and they really they like oh they keep changing the art style of the game it's 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 like it's so cool that there's a series like that where every installment you're not really sure what it's going to look like. And it's always cool to just have that world feel so different. You know, like there aren't a lot of series that really go that far with it. Like the difference between Majora's Mask and Wind Waker is probably bigger of a graphical and like 
art style jump than I think any two games that I could think of, you know. Moving on, we have a, a question from actually an anonymous source, but Ooh. a pretty straightforward question. I want to get your impressions on this. So the question goes, hey, Glenn Tendies. <laughs> Dude, people are... <laughs> People are like saying my name different every single time now. Like I got Glenosaurus Rex. I got like a bunch of different. It's like Glendorella. Like, dude, just call me Glenn Tendies. All right. Glenn Tendies is a good one. So that's the question like, that's, goes. That's a, that's a staple Glenn moniker. Like that's, that's a staple alias. Yeah. <laughs> so the question goes. So the first two big Nintendo first party games of the year have been revealed and given release dates. So that's obviously new Pokemon Snap and uh, Super Mario 3D World, both were just surprise revealed instead of being featured in big Nintendo Directs. Do you think Nintendo Directs as we know them are gone? So uh, I want to hear your reaction to this first, and then I'll, I'll kind of jump in. So I can definitely see why this person would think that. Um, it's I, I would say more so with like new Pokemon Snap and stuff like that, more so than uh, the new Super Mario. Mario th or Super Mario 3D World and stuff like that because that was technically revealed alongside with the Mario 35 stuff so that was already its own separate direct but I think a lot of why you know you're seeing a lot more of these like you know shadow trailer releases and stuff I think that really more plays into the pandemic and like being able to like you know properly get in a studio with staff and stuff like that um you've seen it with the with the smash directs that uh Sakurai does you know, he was doing a bulk of them from his house for a few months until this most recent one where he was back in the studio. So I don't think Nintendo directs are, are dead per se, because I, I, um, you look at like other gaming studios as an example, like Sony started doing their own, uh, version of the Nintendo direct and Xbox started doing their own version of the Nintendo direct. Like when Nintendo first decided to, I forget which E3 they did this, where they, they skipped out on the big press conference to just have like a 45 minute show of just like, you know, showing what their, their next big slate of games coming out was. Um, so I'd say this past year definitely has led more to a lot of these shadow drops. Um, Cause I, using an, ex an example I just read about recently is that uh paper Mario, the origami King was another game that just got unexpectedly, you know, announced on Twitter, like in the middle of like a Wednesday, and people were like, okay, that's weird. But I feel like a lot of these games, like new Pokemon Snap and, you know, these other things were all meant to be part of whatever Nintendo's big E3 showcase was. And I feel like because they already had a lot of this footage, like, laying around, they are like, well, we could either just show everything at once or we can, like, stagger out, you know, throughout the, the months until, you know, we eventually have to you know, they do have that big, you know, direct, I think they have one every like winter they have, they have one. It feels like they have them quarterly, but I, I wouldn't say the, the Nintendo directs are dead. I feel like the Nintendo directs of like, you know, old with like, uh, you know, Iwata and stuff like that are, are, you know, a, a bygone. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually have a few different, I have a few different thoughts on this because one, I actually didn't even consider what you just said makes a lot of sense where you, earlier in, in, in what you were saying, you were saying how like these were two games that were already announced with other things. So I think the Pokemon game was was actually revealed for the first time during their E3 thing. 
Um, and then Mario 3D World port was obviously shown back with all that Mario 35th anniversary stuff back in in like September or October, whichever early, it was like late, it was early fall or something of last year. So um, it kind of makes sense that they would kind of just like, hey, you already know about these games. So here's some more footage, you know what I mean? And like, here's more details on that. But maybe it also means that they have a lot that they're going to talk about. And when we do get a direct, it's going to be stuffed to the brim because it is possible that last year just threw so many things off that maybe now, like, you know, late, maybe halfway through the year, they kind of got their ducks in a row and they're like, all right, now our work paces back together. So when the next direct comes out, they have a lot that's just been sitting there that was supposed to already be shown. And now it's like backed up. So, I mean, that's, that's actually pretty exciting to think about because if, if Mario 3D World, right, and like the Bowser's Fury stuff and the Pokemon Snap stuff was, you know, those are pretty big announcements and like those are going to be pretty big games for them. So if if they have a direct and and I'm I'm correct in saying that they have so much to announce that that stuff doesn't make the cut, that's really cool because that means that whenever we do get a direct, it might be big. Um, but the only other thing I would say is to this person's question. There is this feeling that even though Microsoft and Sony have recently copied the direct formula, that um, which is funny, by the way, because when, like you said, when they first started avoiding doing E3 conferences and doing directs instead, everyone was like laughing at them. Like everyone was like, oh, this is crazy Nintendo and like they're stupid or whatever. Like, why would you get rid of your press conference? Like everybody loves those. And now in retrospect, everyone was everyone wants directs. And we love directs and that's the new standard. Everybody's copying that. But the point I was going to make was that um, there is one problem that the directs always have that maybe they were trying to solve with this is that like there has been this thing of they would announce a direct. And if you look at the recent directs over the past, like the last few that we've gotten, they always find a way to like word it so that it shifts people's expectations, right? So they'll be like, oh, this is a partner showcase. Like, don't expect first party games. Like they'll announce ahead of time, hey, don't get your hopes up or get too crazy about first party games because this is literally just a partner showcase or this is a Nintendo Direct Mini. Like they always find this way of subverting the audience expectations because one of the biggest problems they've had with Directs is that some Directs have been so good and so like mind blowing that it's very hard to compete with it the next time you have to do a Direct. And so it might be possible that th this is the new thing, like directs might be for the third parties and for like them them wanting to shine a light on like maybe the smaller games that normally would get overshadowed. And then for the games that are big enough, like Mario and Pokemon and maybe Zelda, from now on, they might just go, you know what, we're just going to, instead of revealing those in a direct, we're actually just going to like drop them on Twitter. I think they did that with Hyrule Warriors. So um Maybe they are dead as we knew them because it's, it's very hard for them to keep slam dunking the directs. Like there's only so many big games that you can show in a direct and every direct ends the same way. Like ever since they announced Metroid Prime 4 and Breath of the Wild 2 and Smash Brothers, every direct that we've gotten, people are like, no Smash character, no Zelda 2, no <laughs> Prime 4, like every time. So maybe for them, they're like, look, man, we're just going to, we're going to get rid of that formula. We're going to switch it up. The directs are going to be these smaller things now where we don't have to meet insane expectations. Yeah, no, that I, I totally understand that. And um, I just a, a real quick note of like, you know, 
I'm I'm all for Nintendo like tempering their 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 own expectations because they're pretty much in, in in a you know in a in a measuring contest with themselves. Anyone that says like a, a Nintendo Direct is bad, I, those people like are so selfish because <laughs> like a lot like even on like a bad Nintendo Direct, like you're still getting some cool games, and I especially now with you know the Switch is very popular with third-party developers like the, the wii u wishes it had this sort of third-party support um and stuff like that so like i i love that they're dedicating like you know specific directs to like you said like whether it be the the Nintendo direct mini or the nindies where they show a lot of the indie games and stuff like that and smash brothers was really i think the first one to like branch out and do their own things because as you as you said like Nintendo's anchor for a lot of their directs have always been like, you know, what's the next Smash character? Or like, oh, here's a here's the announcement of Breath of the Wild 2. But now they're just like, hey, like, we're going to have a 30-minute direct for the next Smash character, and you're only getting this one character, so don't speculate on a YouTube video for 20 minutes, and then have to, like, date your content, like, three days later. So, like, I think, like, Nintendo's definitely gotten a lot better at, like, their own, like, marketing ploy when it comes to advertising these directs. And also, like, they've – I think they've really hit a good stride of, like, getting the information out to you, especially in the pandemic because, you know, in in, in the Rex past, they've had, like, a host, whether it be, like, uh, Iwata or um, the current president of Nintendo whose name escapes me. Um, yeah, I forgot his name too. I think it's Furukawa is his last yeah. name. Yeah, so they'll have, like, him and, like, Bill Trinan or, or Doug Bowser and, you know, Reggie. Like, they'll have them, like, host different types of, of the direct – and they still do that, but now they have that one guy who, like, oh, it's just, like, this one generic voice that, like, it's like, hey, ARMS character coming in June. And then, like, they, like, move on <laughs> to the next thing. They don't, like, hang on the rim for too long. So I think it's just a case of, like, Nintendo, like, being very self-aware of, like, their own, like, you know, expectations and stuff like that. So, you know, hopefully you, you see more of that because I think, personally, the, the formula has been working really well. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I'm definitely, I definitely think now that I, like we're talking about it, uh, it definitely seems to make more sense to me that like moving forward outside of E3, where I think they will tie a lot of the big announcements together. I think what's going to happen is, you know, Breath of the Wild 2 and Metroid Prime 4 and like the final three Smash DLC characters, anything that's on that level, I think they're just going to go, this gets its own direct and you're going to know a week in advance. And it's like, hey, tune in Wednesday. And we're already telling you it's about Zelda as opposed to, hey, we have a direct and you come in and they might have no Zelda and somehow you were expecting Zelda. Um, so last week we talked about, or rather I talked about, the show talked about how, you know, with Mario 3D World, we're reaching the end of, uh, as Forbes called it, the, the one of the Switch's superpowers, which is that. <laughs> the, one of the secret powers that the Switch has had is that the Wii U's failure ended up working out for the Switch because it meant it meant that Nintendo had a lot of amazing games that nobody played that they could port and like you know buffer their uh, their game lineup. And it's like anytime there's been like a dry spell, you you get one or two Wii U ports like great games that you just missed, like Pikmin Three, and obviously now we have Super Mario 3D World. So um, that well is running dry. Right, there's not that many games left from the Wii U era that they can bring forward that don't already have a port or a sequel. Um, but but there is a moist, damp, <laughs> supple well 
that Nintendo is just waiting to tap. They can just tap that real quick. And that is bringing over a bunch of Wii games. So the reason why I think this is important, a lot of people might think like, okay, why would you, you know, the Wii was super successful. Obviously, a lot of people played a lot of amazing games on it. It's not like the Wii U in that way. And the Wii U is an HD console, so it's a lot easier to bring those games over. So why do you care about these Wii games? The reason why I care about these Wii games and why this is actually secretly a really smart move is because the Switch offers a unique opportunity for Nintendo to bring a lot of those games forward and immortalize them in a, in a big popular console like the Switch. That It's an opportunity they might never get again because the, the Switch has motion controls and there's no promise that that's just going to carry over you know, into the future. Like some of these games are so tied to the motion control setup that they're really impossible to bring forward if if in the future Nintendo decides, for example, hey, we're just going to make the next Switch like the Switch Lite and maybe there's Joy-Con, but there's no motion control. And if you look at like a lot of their modern games, there's very there's a lot of gyro use in a lot of modern Nintendo games, but there isn't a lot of motion control games. So I have a list here of a lot of Wii games that we're going to talk about that I think they need to bring these back, especially because some of these are like impossible to get now. The Wii did not have a digital like online store for you to download games. It is very hard to get some of these games. And some of these games are actually amazing, amazing games that would work amazing on the Switch. So I actually want to ask you, I know you, I asked you to pick out like one really important one that to you that you think is really cool. What was your choice? So I, I definitely waffled back on forth because um, I think what a lot of people seem to forget about the Wii is that uh, its success was carried really hard by those first like three years. And like a lot of the games like later library was like pretty shovel wary and terrible. Um, at least from like my experience of like the, the Wii games that all the Wii games that I loved playing were came out within the first like three or four years of the console's lifespan. Um, so I, I went through like a list of like Wii games and I was like, cause they've already, like you said, they've already ported a lot of the good ones. Like there's a list of ones here that like, you know, obviously that we're, we're most, we're going to get these inevitably. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. You like. Actually, let me hold your, hold your thought. Let me actually run through that list real quick. Let's so let's do it. Cause there are a few Wii games that are available on switch in some form. So obviously Mario galaxy one is part of the Mario 3d collection. We have uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, which got a remake on the Switch. So that's not even a port. That's just a full remake. And then we have No More Heroes 1 and 2, which is a weird situation because the version that is on the Switch is the HD version that was on the PS3 and 360. And then they just added the motion controls back for the port to the Switch. Um, But outside of that, they don't have... There are no Wii games available or like they, they have not been brought to the Switch. There are a few, though, that are inevitable that we know are going to happen at some point in some form. So before we get into our personal picks and your personal pick, let me also read the inevitables. So Mario Galaxy 2 is obvious. Like they already have Mario Galaxy 1. It's 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 just like it's just a matter of time. It's kind of weird that it's not in the 3D collection, as many people have pointed out. It's, it's like that one. That's not there, honestly. Yeah. Like, and especially because, dude. In a lot of ways, it's the best game out of those three or out of those four. Um, so Mario Galaxy 
two is obvious. That's going to come, I think, eventually. That's inevitable. But And the other inevitable ones that I think we're going to get this year are you know, Twilight Princess, because they already have an HD version of that. So that's going to come. But I, I doubt it's going to have the Wii motion controls. It's probably just going to be the Wii U port. Um, and Skyward Sword, which is long rumored to be ported to the Switch, like every other 3D Zelda game has gotten a remake or some kind of remaster. That's the only one that hasn't. And there's been rumors about that for such a long time. So that's the other one. And then, of course, the the inevitable that has been, you know, <laughs> this this game has been orbiting the Switch forever. It's just been lost and floating in space. And we just, we know it's there. We don't know when it's going to crash land and when it's going to come. But obviously, Metroid Prime Trilogy, that game already was ported to the Wii U. And it's it has motion controls, whatever. That game is coming. So with all that in mind, those are the inevitable games that we know are going to come and the games that we already have from the Wii. But what was your pick in terms of like the one that you really think should come? So I narrowed my choice down to two. And, you know, it, it really hurt me to not look at games like uh, oh, Just Dance 2016 and Castlevania Judgment, you know, real, real oh my God. <laughs> bell ringers of, of, of great Wii games. But I narrowed my choice. I forgot about that Castlevania game. I'm sorry to cut you off, but oh my God, that was the fighting (laughs) game, right? Yeah, and it was awful. Yeah. It was so bad. Um, I I can't stand it, but man, it was funny. Um, So I narrowed my choice down to two. One's a little bit more of a deeper cut, and one's pretty obvious if you know my branding. So I'll I'll hit the easy stuff first. Um, And one of my favorite Wii games of all time is uh, Sonic Colors. And... I, I love this game a lot. Now, it was it was a later Wii game. It came out in 2010. So, you know, Sonic had already, it's, you know, like we mentioned earlier, Sonic has had its ups and downs. But when you talk to anyone, even like, I'd say people that are like closely associated with Sonic, they'll even tell you that Sonic Colors is like one of the best games to have come from the franchise in the last decade. You know, uh, at least for the most part, the last like 10 years of Sonic games have been okay, like and stuff yeah. like that. So Colors is one of those games where it's it's uh, the concept is great. It doesn't require like too much motion control because the problem with the later Wii games is that they really abandoned a lot of the motion gimmicks um, in place for like, you know, using a GameCube controller or a classic controller, um, you know, but there's some shake to use the wisps type thing you know it's the game that introduces the wisps um the game for a wii standard game is gorgeous uh it's i think in my opinion i think it's the best boost game out of the sonic games i think it gets like it, it gets it just right where you you know you're you're able to do the sonic thing where you go fast but you're also within like control of your character and it introduces a gimmick that's not like it doesn't slow down the game very well uh, you know, it, it doesn't slow, like, slow the game to a halt or it's not like, you know, unplayable by any stretch of the imagination. And I think it's a game that would just like straight up would just look beautiful in HD. Like it's a crime that that game hasn't been like, you know, modded for the PC or something like that. And if it has, then I don't know about it. But um, that's a game that I would love to see brought over, you know, from the Wii library. And the second game. I thought of is actually a remake of a PlayStation one game. And that is the Klonoa game that came out in 2008. Oh, I forgot about that. I, wow. So this is one of my favorite games 
I love Klonoa. It's one of the the best franchises that most people probably haven't heard of. And um, I had the game title up here before, but it is a remake of the the Klonoa uh, 2000 and uh, the door to the Phantom Isle uh, is what it was called. And without spoiling that game, like it's 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 Klonoa looks very fluffy and cute on the outside. But the plots of that of the game gets very heavy. And like it's it's one of the few times I've cried at the ending of a video game because of how like how how much that like how much it hits you like right in the heart um and so that game was remade in 2008 on the Wii and there's some like light motion stuff like you shake the Wii mote to like use Klonoa's air ring to like collect stuff and they added a couple of uh new modes where you can like flip the game like around to like play the levels like mirror mode like uh, a la Mario Kart um it's it's such an underrated game on the Wii I think Klonoa yeah. has been one of my like deep cut smash asks for like a long time. Um, and I, I personally think like, if you want to like really like, you know, like surprise some people, like that would be a great game from the Wii's library to like bring into, you know, the modern day. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned that. Cause I completely, I actually remember. So Klonoa, the original, um, I remember seeing the character and he has like a little Pac-Man pin on his hat and he's like this cute black and white animal. What what kind of animal is he? Is he a bunny? I want I to be honest, <laughs> I'm not totally sure. It's very it's like, I, I, I want to say he's a rabbit. I'm not totally – Oh, he's a, he is a rabbit, I think. Yeah. A rabbit. Um, but I always thought that character was really cool. And I remember really wanting to try that game. And it's weird because I actually don't like – by that point, I really was over mascot platformers, especially if they were an animal. Like after the PlayStation era, they kind of – took that really far. Like there was Crash Bandicoot, there was Gex, there was Ty the Tiger, like Tasmanian Tiger. There were so many. But Klonoa, <laughs> Klonoa looked so cool that I remember even me, like the most jaded, you know, 3D platform, mascot platformer guy at that time. <laughs> I was like, I want to try that game. Um, but yeah, I actually, I don't, I didn't remember that they remade that for the Wii. That is actually really, that's a really good choice. Um, one of the things about Sonic Colors actually uh, that is that is not such a good sign of it being ported. Um, by the way, you're completely right. Like most of the people that I talk to who are Sonic fans or even just non-Sonic fans, like that was definitely one of the better games in that series in the last decade or maybe more than a decade at this point. But um, that game actually only came out on the Wii and the DS. There was like a DS version. It wasn't really the same, but that game has such a... That game probably has no shot of coming to the Switch just because... If it had a 360 or PS3 version, we've seen a lot of like ports from PS3, 360 games just because it's those are already HD. So you bringing them to Switch is a lot easier. But I, I highly doubt they're going to take a standard definition game like that and bring it over. Like it would probably take so much work that they're like, let's just make a new Sonic game. Um, but yeah, those are two really good picks, actually. And I would, be, I, I would be totally okay if the 30th anniversary game for Sonic this year is just a, a colors sequel, like straight up. I'd be okay with that. Oh my god, I forgot that it's Sonic's 30th anniversary too, dude. It's like, yep. dude, what is with the anniversaries? This year is Pokemon 25 or 30, actually. It's 25, I think. Yeah, it's 25. Mario and Zelda is 35. Or is Mario's 35 just happened? Zelda's and Metroid's are this year, both 35. And then Sonic is 30. That's insane. And like historically, just really quick on that is that I'm, 
I, I'm always just like very cautious of Sonic's anniversary games because they've always been very hit or miss. Because um, you either get Sonic Generations, which is regarded as one of the best Sonic games of the last decade, or you get Sonic Genesis on the Game Boy Advance, which is one of the worst games ever created. So <laughs> I just hope they find a middle ground where they give me something that's okay. Just give me something that's right. okay. And fun. That's all I want. So my number one pick is a game that I already talked about previously on the podcast on the holiday episode, which is Zack and Wiki. So that game um, is so good. And it, it's one of the things that I really challenged. Like when I was looking at this list, I was like, the games that we should want them to port are because there's so many great Wii games. But the ones that I think that really need the port are the ones that have motion controls as like a really integral part of the game because Again, this is a unique opportunity to have a modern console that is going to be around for a very long time with a digital store that has motion controls. So um, I tried to pick those games over the games that kind of would work with a regular controller. Like those are going to have a lot easier time being ported or brought into the future. But Zack and Wiki, it was like a point and click puzzle game. And um, it's so good, man. It's I really want to play that game again and I don't want to dig out my Wii and I wish I had it on the switch and it would be, <laughs> dude, it would be so perfect. Like you remember the, um, the game one, two switch. Yes, I do. And yeah. So you know how like a big part of that game was like, Oh, you know, some mini games are you, you point at the other person, like you're drawing a gun, like you're, you know, like you're a cowboy. And then like the other ones are like feel the ice cubes in the, in the, in the joy con that game, Zach and wiki was doing that stuff but it was like in a point and click adventure puzzle setting instead of a party game. So yeah, that game, if you haven't played it and you have a Wii or a Wii U, please pay the $12 on eBay. I am very, very, I would be very surprised if somebody didn't like that game. So I already talked about that game. So I actually picked a different game and the game I pick as my number one choice is a game that I think this might be in the running for the most underrated Nintendo game ever made this game like nintendo's obviously brilliant right and people heap praise on them left and right most of it deserves some of it not deserved whatever there's a lot of fanboyism rampant but (laughs) one game that they have made that does not get the credit it deserves and it's it really fell under the radar is actually not even a wii game it's a gamecube game that was brought to the wii later it's a game called donkey kong jungle beat have you played this oh, game? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. So this game came out late in the GameCube. And actually, the history of this game is that, like, this was when Nintendo was licking the wounds of, like, getting deleted by Sony for another <laughs> console generation with the GameCube. And so they they were experimenting a lot with, like, new controllers and, like, new stuff. And the, the GameCube, the Wii actually started with... The Wii Remote was supposed to just be an add-on for the GameCube. It was supposed to the Wii Motion Controller was supposed to be like a, a controller that you connected to your GameCube. It wasn't supposed to be its own console at first. And one of the many things that they created in that experimental time was this Donkey Kong game that you control with these little miniature plastic bongos. So you would go to the store and you would buy these little bongos that plug into your GameCube controller slot, and you would you had to keep a tempo on the bongos to move Donkey Kong left and right. And so it was kind of like a platforming game, you know, left and right, but it was beautiful. Like he had so much fur on him and it was, 
a 3D, it was in a 2D like plane in terms of gameplay, but it was, you know, one of those classic games like 2.5D where it's a 3D environment and stuff. And this game was so fun. And it's it's one of the best Donkey Kong games. And they designed so much cool stuff that you could do with the, the bongos. And like, if you haven't played this game, I don't even know how you can get it because it's, it's really rough to find this game. But then it was ported to the Wii and you didn't need the bongos. And it, all it used was the nunchuck and Wii remote. And you would just kind of like motion, you know, the, the way that you would hit a bongo and it would work perfectly. And it's, it's such a weird game because it's a game, it's a platformer, a 2D platformer that is controlled by hitting a bongo or in this case with the Wii remote, just moving the Wii remote like up and down, like you're hitting a drum. And they, they, in the classic like Nintendo way, they come up with a million awesome things that you can do with those motions. And like they, they, you know, they throw curveballs at you and the game is beautiful. It's, it's the last time that like a, it's the last time that Nintendo made a Donkey Kong game internally with their internal studio. The studio that made that game was the same studio that went on to make Mario Galaxy. And ever since that Donkey Kong game, every Donkey Kong game has been made by like, you know, Retro Studios or some other outside studio. So that game is lost in in time. And it's it's genuinely an amazing, amazing game. So that's my number one pick. Have you... So you said you played it. What was your experience with that game? So I remember I went to a birthday party when I was in like the fifth or sixth grade. And my friend was an only child. So naturally he got like a lot of stuff that like, you know, he got, he got like a lot of like really cool Christmas gifts. So we went, I went over to his house and he had, uh, he had jungle beat as like one of the games that he had. And he was showing us it and like how you, you know, traverse the game by like, you know, playing the bongos and hitting the side of the bongos. And um, it's also a fun game to watch. Like it's, it's every now and then I'll go down like a weird, like YouTube rabbit hole where like, I'll watch people like play like other games with the Donkey Kong bongos. It's like, it's a very like weird, it's a very weird thing that like I come across every now and then. And like, I, I like, like you said, it's a game that's like, it's it totally like it, it feels like it's at its own like cut of time. Like I missed the era where like Nintendo had weird peripherals with their consoles. Like, do you remember what was the Mario Part seven that had the microphone? Uh, yeah, peripheral? again. Yeah. That was another perfect example of like they were trying all these different peripherals that eventually became the Wii, but they, they were just like in this mode of, bro, we're holding a massive L with the GameCube. We need to do something different. And you saw so <laughs> many weird games in that time with that with peripherals. No, yeah, like I, uh, I remember like I played it a bit, and like I'm, I'm not a percussion instrument player. Let's just put it at that. So like I definitely <laughs> did not do very great with it. But um, no, I, I, I think that's a perfect choice, honestly. Like that's definitely a, if if they want to like make like waves and stuff like that, then that that's a huge, uh, that's definitely like a huge like th- you know throwback to you know the maybe seven or eight people that still own the Donkey Kong bongos, which I'm curious how much those actually go for like online right now. Yeah. So my experience with that game is funny because, um, the, I actually, I didn't know, I like skipped it. Like I had heard about it because I was a huge Nintendo nerd, but like I was in a different phase where I wasn't gaming as much. So like years went by, the Wii was already out and I was at my cousin's house and he had bought that game and the bongo drums. And Part of the reason why I own it is because it was years later. And again, it wasn't that big of a success of a game um, like many things weren't on the GameCube. 
And he was like, dude, the GameStop down the street has bongos for literally $5. So I was like, what? <laughs> so like I left his house. I played it for the first time at his house. And I was like, this is incredible. And then I went to the GameStop. I bought two bongos and I bought the game. Um, one of the, yeah. So I have two bongos. I have two bongos and I have the game. And then I also got Donkey Konga, the the music. It's like Guitar Hero, but you use the bongos for that game as well. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't know how much they are now, but I, I got them at a steal, dude. Like I literally paid five, I paid $10 for two of them. They're like brand new basically. So I just did a quick Google search and you can get them on eBay for like anywhere from like 16 to $18. So these definitely is a, they definitely aren't a barn burner by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, man. And if you have a GameCube or a Wii and it's still functional, um, man, I would recommend you you play those games. Or if you find the 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 port that they did to the Wii um, that doesn't need the bongos and you have like a Wii U or a Wii, then you can play that. So that game, Lost in Time, look up the footage. If you, I can't imagine someone looking up the footage of that game and thinking this isn't cool. Like this is such a cool game. And again, it's a secret superpower because what we've <laughs> seen so far with the Switch is that the Switch technically has a Donkey Kong game, right? It's like once Nintendo's, uh, once they come out with a new platform, it's always like, okay, where's all the games, like the franchises that we love? So where's Donkey Kong? Where's Kirby? Where's Mario? There's Zelda, whatever, Pokemon, whatever. It's always like the countdown begins. And they got around that this time by having the ports. So they had Mario Kart and then they had, technically they have a Donkey Kong game and they have an amazing Donkey Kong game because Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze is on the Switch which was like one of the best games of all time on the Wii U and just one of the best games ever in terms of like that genre of game. So they kind of cheated, right? Like instead of giving us a Donkey Kong game, we got a port, which is a great port, but it's not a new Donkey Kong. But then this is a better way to cheat because most people not only can't play this game, but they never played it at all. So you're porting a game that's even less popular than the Wii U games. And so just port the Wii version. And like the other thing I wanted to mention about this is the, um, some of the Wii games, they require a little more precision with motion controls than others. Right. So Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong jungle beat is a very good pick because it's very just like primitive motions that you need to do, which the, the, the joy cons are very good at doing, you know, it's not very precise, but I'm a little worried about them porting some other Wii games that require more precise motion because we've gotten mixed results with that so far. So for example, in Mario Galaxy on the 3D collection, it actually works perfectly. When you point at the screen, the um, you know you can collect the star bits and you can shoot them and everything works out great. But for some reason, when they ported Pikmin 3 on the Wii U, the Wii motion controls element of that game does not translate the same way. Like you have to constantly recalibrate and it does not work as good as it does in Mario Galaxy. So I'm not sure why that is or what the technology is for that, but like I wanted to get into some of the other Wii games that I think would be really good ports. And some of them I'm a little skeptical of because of that Pikmin 3 situation where I'm like, is this going to be a game where when they port it, the the motion controls are just going to be like, you're going to need to recalibrate them all the time. And like, we're going to have to find out, I guess, if they decide to do this. But um, some of the games on the list are like the obvious. Like the first one is the one that I can't even believe this isn't on the Switch already. I didn't put it on inevitable because on the inevitable list because I really don't know. It, it not being on the Switch already is a weird thing. 
one of the most famous video games ever. Wii Sports and a Wii Sports Resort. Who who doesn't love this game? Yeah, no, I was actually going to bring that up as like my choice. Is like, it feels like it should be an obvious choice because like Nintendo still has stuck with the Mies as like you know a, an avatar gimmick, you know, for the last like you know however many years it's been since the Wii came out, and you know I feel like they they I think they tried with like Wii Party U. I think there was a Wii Party game on a Wii U and stuff like that. Yeah, there was. And so like. I, I, I don't understand why they haven't tried to like port over Wii Sports and Wii Sports Resorts because like they're some of the best selling games on the system. And, you know, like you said, like I, I played through Mario Galaxy uh, out of the games in the collection I've played so far in the 3D collection. And I agree that it, it translates perfectly. So like I, I do. It, it is very strange. That, like they haven't tried to like restoke the flames of that IP with like the Wii Sports things or whatever. Like, yeah. It's very strange. Like early, I think the reason for it was because early on, they were trying to avoid the Wii U situation where people genuinely thought that the Wii U was an add-on for the Wii, right? They didn't know it was a new console. And so there was all this confusion. And so with the Switch, they were like, look, we're going to get rid of the Wii name. We're going to get rid of anything that reminds you of the Wii. And this is a new concept that is like completely different, which is why the Mii Maker channel isn't like at the forefront of the Switch. You have to go into like the settings and then go digging through to find the Mii Maker. Um, and so Wii Sports, definitely, I feel like they didn't want to have that early on because they wanted the Switch to become its own thing and not be defined or in the shadow of the Wii and confuse people. Like, oh, is this a portable Wii? Like, what is this? So now it's fine. Like now, you know, the Switch has been out for almost four years and it's it's everyone gets what it is. No one even talks about the Wii. But Wii Sports is a, you know, cultural phenomenon. And like that game, if they were to bring that to the Switch, that would that would sell like crazy. Um, so I think it's weird that it's not on it. I want to say it's inevitable, but maybe not. Like they might really just put the Wii behind them at this point. Um, but that's one game. Another one I wanted to talk about was Mario Strikers. Have you played that? Yes, I was going to mention that as one of my other choices, but I fell in love with Klonoa and uh, and Sonic <laughs> Colors. But it and it I love that game so much and it is very fitting because i'm i'm pretty sure you covered it on the podcast but um next level studios was just bought by nintendo correct is that what happened yeah so i was going to mention that too that some people have hope that there's a new installment of this series coming because of that purchase um for people that don't know mario strikers was basically you know there's always a mario sports game right but this was this was the the soccer their take on mario soccer and it was like a very aggressive game and it was very you know, like you would expect, like it's soccer, but it has that Mario twist where people just turn giant and kick each other in the head. And, you know, it's like, it's insane. But this game was genuinely great. The fans of it are like really passionate. I know people that put hundreds of hours into that game and it was genuinely such a fun game. Um, but yeah, it's tied to the, the the Wii and there actually wasn't that much like motion control stuff. Like there was some, but it, it definitely could be played with a controller. So this is a game that, I can see it maybe just getting a sequel. I doubt they're going to port the Wii version. But again, a franchise that is just sleeping there, it's a little secret power for them if they want to tap that. No, and for, for I agree. And that would be like, you talk to like certain people about like the Mario sports games and like something feral like comes out of them. Like I think of our, our good friend uh, Dila, who's like a huge fan of like the Mario Sluggers games. And like, it's like one of like the... Uh, 
it's like the things they say to the winter soldier to like activate him in civil war or, or uh, <laughs> where he's just like, he, he like, Oh, it awakens like a beast inside of him. And like another one of our mutual friends, Nintunist is like a huge fan of the, uh, of the Mario strikers games as well. So like, so think about the Mario sports games, like really like scratch an itch for some people, except when it's like, except Mario tennis, which is the one that they did give us. <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh, right. Like, I don't know anyone that's like as passionate about that game as like most other people are about like the Slugger series or the Striker series, but yeah, it's a very easy like in case of emergency like break glass for profit type deal. So like I I I think with that recent acquisition, like they I'm sure they plan on doing something with it. So if it means another Mario sports game, then I am I am here for it. Yeah one one of the other um, one of the other games. That when I was looking through this, when I was making this list of like great Wii games that deserve to be brought. There's a game and a series in specific. To be specific, there's a game and a series that I'm shocked has not been brought to the Switch yet. And this port would be great. You're gonna laugh when you hear this because of how obvious it is. But somehow nobody talks about it, dude. The Switch does not have a WarioWare game. Oh wow! Holy crap! You're right. Yeah, so Mario WarioWare Smooth Moves was the one on the the last. So there was one on the Wii U, which was it was good, but it was very very like integrated with the gamepad. That is not going to be able to be ported to the Switch. There's so many games that relied on that second screen a lot, but Smooth Moves was like just Joy-Con stuff, stuff that you could do with the Joy-Con and the stuff that you did with the Wii Remote. Uh, very basic, rudimentary stuff, but great game and one of the best video game series of all time. Like. War- who doesn't love WarioWare games? Those games are fantastic. Yes, and Smooth Moves is like my favorite in the series. Like I put so many man hours into that game when I had when I was like playing through it on the Wii. Like I, it's it's such an easy choice. Like Wario feels like such like a forgotten IP sometimes because like you know they could there's so much history there, which which is weird for like a new ish character in the Mario lineup. But I agree. I think it's a crime that like some of these games like haven't been ported over. Like you can you can go across like a lot of like Nintendo's systems of like games that were like pretty niche or like probably came like two or th- two or three years too early of like for what they wanted to do. And you right, can yeah, with for, like instant profit. Yeah. So an- another one of those is uh, Punch Out on the Wii. That's another one that like. Dude, on the Switch, that would literally be the easiest, you know, copy-paste job for them. The The problem with all these games is obviously, like, it isn't copy-paste. Like, they would have to, you know, write code that, you know, translates the Wii motion controls code into the Joy-Con code or whatever language the Joy-Con understands. But, and, also, and they have to make SD, you know, standard definition games to high definition. But, again, that's a, a game that people love. That game is awesome. That punch-out, like, reboot is great. Um, yeah. So, that's another one. I don't know if you played that one. I have. Uh, I love it. Punch Out's like one of my like guilty pleasure series because like it's just, it's essentially the same game every time, um, but it's like very enjoyable. And Punch Out Wii was fantastic. It's basically the reason Little Mac got into Smash. Like let's not let's not front about that either. Um, yeah, facts. But like it's like like it's uh, that's like another one. It's not like like you said. It's not a, a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination but like it's a pretty like it's it's pretty glass joe like you can you can make it happen like pretty easily yeah right <laughs> nice reference there don't think i didn't catch that glass <laughs> joe <laughs> keeping you sharp 
There's another game. Uh, there, this is a third-party game called Dead Space Extraction. So a lot of people know Dead Space. That game is a survival horror game for the PS3 360, um, kind of like Resident Evil 4 in a way. But it got a game, a version of it that was on Switch, I mean on Wii, except it wasn't a port of the 360 and PS3 version. It was like a on-rails game that you played with like a single Wii remote. And you were just in charge of – it was kind of like Time Crisis where – you know, you play those games at like an arcade where you're just in charge of shooting and then the game moves by itself. But apparently, even though that seems like a huge downgrade from the mainline Dead Space games, this game is apparently really good and people thought were really impressed with it. So um, that would be another game that it's like porting that over or even just porting, I mean, the original Dead Space. That would be a big game for the Switch. Yeah, I've never played the Dead Space games, but like I've had friends that like swear by them. So... I do agree that that's a that's another good one. I don't know if you have any more, but can I pitch you one that I don't think has been ported before? Uh, it just came to mind, um, and it's like one of my like favorite games, like on the Wii, uh, the Trauma Center series. I feel like would translate. Oh yeah, to the Switch. That would be very very interesting. Yeah, there are a lot of DS. Uh, I got the the original one on the DS. I remember just finding the concept fascinating. For people that don't know, it's like a, a surgery simulator game um, and it has like an anime aesthetic and there's like a storyline and stuff. But um, the DS version started off with like, I remember just being, this is back when like they showed the DS and I remember seeing touchscreen games were new then, you know, the iPhone wasn't out and like seeing you control a game through a touchscreen, I was down to play anything that looked strange and new. Mm -hmm. And one of those was Trauma Center. I remember seeing like the trailer and it's like, oh, you have to remove this thing from this guy's body and then you have to like use the touchscreen to like, you know, uh, cauterize his wound and then you have to stitch him up and all this stuff. Like, and then the Wii version was very similar. You use the motion controls to like saw people open up, op operate on them and then s stitch them back up. That's a really good, smart choice. Yeah. And like, because it's Atlas, like it gets weird. Like, like it definitely, like, the game definitely like goes to a, a place that like not even your favorite hospital show could like recreate <laughs> like there's a reason i think like uh one of the big memes that like stuck with me through my childhood is uh is the zombie cancer from like the the ego raptor videos that he'd make about trauma center um there it was, it's very funny but yeah that, that's another one where it's just like anything that's like you know the point and click stuff like i feel like that would be like uh, a fun like little niche add to the library yeah, that's so true. Um, so there's obviously some a few other ones like Fire Emblem Radiant Dawn, which is trapped on the Wii. And it doesn't even require real motion control, so that's a that's an easier port job. Um, and Super Paper Mario, again, that doesn't require a lot of motion controls. These games are lost on the Wii. Like, bring them forward. But the last I game I wanted to talk about was actually a game that is on the, the Switch already, but it's not on the Switch in the right way. And that is Resident Evil 4, one of the ah. greatest games of all time. And you can buy it on Switch right now. But the problem is that the version that's on Switch is just the HD remaster that was on PS3 and 360 and PS4 and Xbox One. And the reason why this is an issue is because secretly the best version of Resident Evil 4. Again, Resident Evil 4, one of the greatest video games ever made. To this day, it's timeless. You could play it now and enjoy it. And it's it's held up. It's the best game in that franchise. Not even close. That game 
the best version of it was the Wii version. And I remember people were really surprised by that because it just seemed like they were taking this GameCube game and porting it to the Wii. And then they were like, oh, I don't know if you want to take a classic like that and add motion controls. Like, how is that going to work? It was perfect. It was perfect. And every expert on this will agree the Wii version of that game, it translates perfectly, man. So it kind of breaks my heart that we're getting a remake of that game, by the way, for the PS5 and Xbox Series X. And we already have a port of that game on every console imaginable. But the Wii version is locked away. And the Switch is like the last hope to immortalize and modernize that motion control version of that game. That game with motion control is so good that I, my brother, that's like his favorite game of all time. He plays it like once a year, not even kidding, but he refuses to play it without the Wii. So every year I have to go into the garage and dig out the Wii U (laughs) so that he can play Resident Evil 4. And you know, the aiming, like that game is brilliant. That version of it is the best version. I'm not sure if you have any experience with it, but man, they really need to bring that over. So in our last podcast that we recorded, I exposed one black mark on my nerd card. I am now about to expose the second black mark on my nerd card. I have never played a Resident Evil game before. All right. This, uh, this podcast is over. Good night. <laughs> Dude, if you had told me that you had not played that game, I would not have done this. This is horrible, dude. <laughs> I, 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 I am fibbing slightly. Uh, the only Resident Evil game I do have experience with uh, is a few minutes of me staying at my cousin's house while he had Resident Evil Four. So I played it for a bit, and I've you know, this, it's I agree with you. Like from what I've seen of like a watch of the game because it's been let's played to death on YouTube and stuff like that. Like it's it's it, it's hands down like it deserves its it's a uh, it's a claim for being one of the best games ever made and for what i played i've enjoyed it and you know i i hope that you know whatever comes out on the on the ps5 and the xbox series x you know definitely uh you know i i say corrects some of the issues that came with the with the wii port um but yeah so i uh if if, if you guys want to want to tweet mean things at me and uh, I, I could probably do a whole podcast about games that I've never played before. Uh, <laughs> and the internet will like will tie me to a, you know, to a cross and burn me at it. So there are a few that even I people will be surprised. Like I still to this day have not played Minecraft. And like for our age group, maybe that's not that big of a deal. But anyone who's like younger than us, it's like, how did you avoid it? Like it, they're not even mad. They're impressed. They're like, wait, how did you not play it? <laughs> How did you keep avoiding that one game? It's literally everywhere. You could play it by accident. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so with that, that is the end of our show this week. Uh, Koopa, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Anyone, please go check out Cooped Up. It's Koopa's podcast, and he has a very special guest this week, myself. We did a little cross-promotion. He's on my podcast. I'm on his podcast. If you want to hear the famous story of how we first met, check out the Cooped Up podcast. Um, I'll, I'm going to post the link in the show description just in case. And Koopa, tell people where they can find you. Sure. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, um, you can follow me at NJ, like New Jersey, the state where myself and Glenn both hail from. 
Um, if you want to know more about our the podcast, <laughs> which is a uh, a general pop culture, you know, movie, TV, and uh, you know, uh, podcasts, um, you can check that out at Cooped Up Pod on Twitter, and uh, you know, our podcast is on YouTube. It's on Anchor. It's on Spotify and a bunch of other platforms. And um, yeah, you can check me out on Twitch too because I stream sometimes at twitch.tv slash KoopaNJ. I will soon be streaming in a peach dress and I also have to uh, drunkenly stream Sonic 06 at some point. Because, oh my God. Yeah, so you guys, if you guys want to watch a grown man suffer, please check out my content. That's you my need to be drunk to play that game, okay? That game is unplayable. <laughs> The, 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 I would be more impressed if you played that game without the alcohol. <laughs> the alcohol is there to help you get through that experience. That game is miserable. But anyway, check out the Cooped Up podcast uh, again. Um, I'm very proud of my friend because it's a great podcast. And um, it was awesome to be on it because I got to talk about not Nintendo. Like doing this podcast, of course I love it. And I want to talk about Nintendo until my freaking eyes fall out. But like... It was nice to take a break from that and be able to just talk about movies and talk about all this other pop culture stuff that I'm into. And it's a great show. So thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Farewell. Abita Zane. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. You can follow me on Twitter at SuperGlentendo. The Glintendo Podcast is a weekly Nintendo slash Smash community podcast. Our aim is to have galaxy brain conversations on all things Nintendo. If you like the show, please consider becoming a friendo and supporting on patreon.com slash Glintendo. Friendos get early access to the show each Thursday. The show then becomes free to all the following Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now and you actually like the show, please give us a good review. It helps boost our visibility so more people can find the show. This show is brought to you by our amazing producers, Naomi Eduardo, In a Yellow Flash, and the legendary Riz.